The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and solely those of the podcast participants, contributors, and guests, and do not constitute an endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of the Hartford or its affiliates. You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by the Hartford. So we, we're going to talk about um, some things to attract an investor and how to talk with them. But um, and then when we're done with this podcast, I must share with you a couple of books that I read okay. that I think would be of real interest. We talked last time about um, some good TV shows that are out there. I've mean, yeah. even got more TV shows, but like, okay. just a couple of good books to recommend. But you know what? We're trying to raise some money. There's a lot of cash that's out there, right? We have a lot of questions about what we want to go for investors. I think one of the biggest questions that people always ask me is like, how long should my pitch be? Right. What do I say and how long should it be? So So today's topic is if you're pitching to an investor to invest in your business, how long should your pitch be? Like, should you just throw like everything at them and just hope they pick out the salient points and decide to invest in your business? Or should you be less is more person? So we're going to talk about that after we hear from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by The Hartford. When the unexpected strikes, The Hartford strikes back for over 1 million small business customers. Check out the Hartford Small Business Insurance at thehartford.com. Do you know that guy, Guy Kawasaki? Kawasaki? Okay, so I was reading about him yesterday, and he says that the perfect pitch deck for an investor is 10 slides long. I actually think the perfect presentation is should be no more than 10 slides. Yeah, I agree. I can't imagine like a pitch deck being 10 slides. First of all, the one thing that you have to realize when you're um, pitching an idea or concept to people, everybody's got their opinions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Guy Kawasaki is awesome. And he is um, so, you know, that, that's like his point of view. And that, that's good. Um, y- your length of your pitch um, really should be what you think is most appropriate for you what you think but don't you, you would want to hear most it should be business less owners more. are gonna err on the side of this is like my baby so i want to say all the great stuff i want to you know but you if you watch shark tank those pitches are like less than two minutes that's like, exactly right and i was going to bring up shark tank because i think shark tank is an excellent example of a show to watch that gives you an idea of how much there is to watch. Now, you know, the thing is that when you're, you, you have to first of all, look at what your scenario is. People talk about the elevator pitch. That's a little bit different because we're talking about actually like you're sitting in a conference room with them. You, you've gotten to exactly. the point where the audience is totally different. Yeah. So, and you're, and you're with somebody that's shown an interest in what you do. And now you've got your time um, to actually pitch, you know? So what the assumption is here is this is not the first meeting with the prospective investor. This is now basically your second meeting where, you know, they're, they're, the investor's got some enticement um, to hear more and now you've got your chance to So the say Shark more. Tank pitch is what you do the first time you meet them. Yeah, but even the Shark Tank pitch, I mean, that's they have like a good you know couple of minutes to do that pitch, which is a long time. I'm, I'm going to assume that in this case, um, the, you, you've gotten the interest of that investor. Yeah. But you know, by all, by no means is this investor sold, you know, you've just, you've gotten the interest and they want to hear more. Is that fair enough? Yes. So guy says you should use 10 slides. You should talk for 20 minutes and you should use 30 point font. That's very specific. I know, I know. But the thing is, honestly, people love really specific instructions. So his argument is you shouldn't use anything less than 30 point font because then you're going to expect people to like read your slide. Like you're using smaller font because you want to jam as much 
onto that slide as possible. Right. And you should use your slides more judiciously. So my advice is actually quite the opposite. And maybe okay. this comes as somebody who speaks for a living. Um, the best communicators and speakers that I hear speaking to me that I'm still not there yet, but these are, um, they don't use any slides at all. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, people have in this generation, we have this, this crutch of the PowerPoint, which I think PowerPoint slides are very important. Don't get me wrong. In the end, we have to go to the documentation and the numbers. But if you're meeting with a bunch of potential investors, um, if I was meeting with a bunch of potential investors, if I knew what I was talking about and I'm on my game and this is my thing and this is all my whole life and all whatever, I don't need to be relying on any slides. I'm sitting across from my potential investors and I am talking about what you know, why I think that they should be investing right, in my well, company. I'm gonna it's a conversation. That. Go ahead. Behavioral science says if you walk in with a piece of paper with something tangible, mm -hmm. people are actually more apt to listen to what you have to say. Well, so coming in with whether it's a PowerPoint or it's, you know, a bunch of Excel documents together. I feel like you have to come in. Do you have to come to the table with something tangible? I think you can you can refer to something after you've had your say, and I think you can leave people with the documentation after you've had your say. That's completely okay. fine. But I'll give you an example, Elizabeth. I am hanging on every word that you tell me right now, and you don't have any PowerPoints or spreadsheets to show me. So because that refutes the research that you have done. You are <laughs> giving me critical information. But I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Well, you, you're trying to convince me of a point that Guy Kawasaki's strategy is, is better than anybody else's. I'm not saying it's better. I'm just yeah. trying to say like, okay, That's what he's his, saying this. So right. what are you... So my point is, is this, that you're sitting across from an investor or a group of investors. I think what you want to do is initially, um, you want to be talking about your company. You want to be painting the picture of what your vision is the product, the service that you're going to be providing, you know, what you want to be doing with this company 10 years from now is what okay. you want to be talking about. Because remember, investors don't invest in the past, they invest in the future. And that what they want to hear is where are you going to be 10 years from now? Where's my money going to be and how am I going to get my return on invest? They got to buy in to the idea and the concept of the company. I think next you also want to talk about details. And again, I still don't think you should be using any slides at this point or any documentation. I think you should go through what your market potential is going to be and you know how the structure of your company is going to be and what your strategy is going to be to attack you know, that market. And then finally, you can talk about you know, the dollars the that are involved. Once you've had that conversation, I think then it is completely appropriate to pull out a couple of pieces of paper that you can then hand over to your potential investors and say, you know, if you're interested, you know, in this, you know, here are the numbers I was just talking about that backs up what we were what we were discussing. So how do you keep yourself from going on too long? Well, you have I mean, you have to. It comes with practice, I guess. Um, I'm a sales guy. So I guess because I've been selling software for 25 years, I've become very practiced in how to sell you know, a, a client on buying software, how long I should be talking but to. But not everyone's you, Gene. I understand that. It's something that you have to practice with other people before you sit down and do. If you're going to do your, your pitch for your company the first time ever with a group of investors and you've never tried it out on anybody else or practice it with your spouse. That's a mistake. Or your partner, <laughs> it's a mistake. I mean, right? I mean, it's the same thing as trying anything for the first time. You're never going to do it very well. The more comfortable you are giving that pitch, and it's funny because if you talk to anybody who has tried to start up a company and gone the rounds of the venture capital firms and asked for investment money and they talked to 15, 20, they will tell you that they didn't even start getting into a groove until they started, you know, they hit their fifth or their sixth pitch, you yeah. know? So you have to practice to get good. You're going to practice on your family. 
you're going to practice on any of your friends that you can rope in. You can practice to on yourself. I mean, you know, don't necessarily have to have like a you know an audience every single time, but you could be running through what your pitch will be. You know, most people, you know, their attention span is only a matter of a few minutes. So you want to keep your pitch to just a few minutes long. And but but be prepared for the fact that again, we're at that second meeting. If we're pitching these investors and you know, you've already hooked them in a little bit, you want to first confirm that their decision was the right decision to be there at this meeting. So you probably want to reiterate whatever you said the first time and emphasize whatever the opportunity is. But then be prepared to spend more time talking deeply about the numbers and the market. And I still say, although you should be prepared to hand out documentation to support what your pitch is going to be, um, the more confidence you have in what you're talking about um, will be displayed to mm -hmm. your potential investors. And the more you know your numbers in your business, I, I just can't tell you, I'm, I'm impressed by salespeople, speakers, um, people that come to me with, with a proposal, an idea, whatever, and they're able to rattle off the numbers and talk to me about and answer my questions but without having to look down a paper all the time and, uh, you know, or you're up at a PowerPoint or whatever. They should know their stuff. It's not that complicated at this moment. It's not, it's not something that you shouldn't be able to memorize and be able to talk about first before you then give the documentation afterwards. I think it's really important to do. So can we nail you down on the amount of time this should take? A few minutes to pitch the idea. Okay. And what happens is, is that again, that few minutes is confirming why those people are here. And then you then say, you know, your next is, um, you know, shall we go into more detail? And if the answer is yes, much time as it takes, there is no time limit. You know, I mean, once you've gotten past the point where your audience wants to hear more, mm -hmm. you know, we're interested, then take all day if that's what they want to hear. Now you're no longer pitching you're going through the strategy with them and the numbers with them. And I don't think there's any time limit on that, particularly if people have questions. And the more questions you're getting, the better that you're doing. Great. All right. We'll be right back with Gene's book recommendations and his word of brilliance. Word of brilliance. Did you know that it takes 26 minutes to recover from a minor distraction? If you're looking to become an even more productive business owner, Small Biz Ahead has you covered. Our new ebook, 21 Days to Be a More Productive Small Business Owner, will help you set a course to supercharge your workdays and maximize your hours. You'll learn how to find the most productive time of day for certain tasks, which parts of your life you can automate, when to hire a virtual assistant, how to batch work to increase productivity, and more. Head over to smallbizahead.com and click the link in the show notes to download your free copy today. And we're back with Gene's Word of Brilliance. It's Airbnb. We okay. were talking over lunch, I think, or something. Recently, we were talking about Airbnb. We were talking about it like two episodes ago. Yeah, I know. It's so, you know, that kind of service. Everybody knows who Airbnb is and um, what they're, you know, what the kind of service that they're shared. Have you ever used Airbnb? Have you stayed yeah. in Airbnb? Yeah, me too. And love it. Um, apparently, Airbnb for work is growing at a rapid pace. Um, recently, the company had announced that it now accounts for 15% of their total bookings on wow. their site. Airbnb for work is it's it's a service that they offer that's designed specifically for business travelers and the people that list um, you know their residences and their place that they're renting out are are provide more business oriented accommodations for the business travel. So you're going to find some place with maybe faster internet speed or uh, you know desks or workplace in the in the location or or locations you know closer to a business yeah. area. So the reason why I bring up Airbnb for work is because of its if its growing popularity is saying to me that if you're running a business and your business involves travel rather than leaning on the 
traditional hotels and whatever, um, you might be able to save a lot of money as well as get like some really great accommodation um, from Airbnb for work. Apparently, it is a very growing segment of their users. That's huh. my word of the day. Interesting. All right. So hit us with your book recommendations. So I had a few book recommendations, Elizabeth, that, that I have been reading of late. Um, and I forget on a previous podcast if we had talked about um, Grant was one of them by Ron Chernow. It was fantastic. Yes, we did talk about that. Okay, but I, I a couple of the ones I, I do want to mention I think is really, really good. Um, one um, in particular, and I'm trying to find it here, is, oh yeah, Kate Christensen wrote a really cool book. It's a novel called The Last Cruise. And it's all about um, these, Craig Christensen is a longtime novelist. She's written a bunch of stuff about people that travel on a, on a cruise ship that gets into trouble halfway through. And um, it was a fun book to read. It was a um, it was a uh, interesting book to read. And uh, if you're like a fan of novels, it's one of those things that are um, it's just something that I would recommend. Another would I one, like it. Yeah, because it is um, I, I don't want to give away what the plot is, what the trouble they have. But it's basically how people behave when they're on a um, cruise together and things go wrong. Oh, OK, OK. A lot and, of. A lot of puking and correct. <laughs> yeah, it was. There was a whole bunch of things that happened on it that um, was good, and the ending of it was an interesting ending as well. So it's called "The Last Cruise" by Kate Christensen. Okay, any other ones? Um, one other one. Uh, this book is called "A Gentleman in Moscow" by Amor Towles. T O W L E S. Very popular book. It's a big book clubby kind of book to read. Um, and what it does is it's all about a, um, a, a man who is a account um, back in the 1920s. He is when the Bolsheviks took over, he was sentenced to spend a lifetime imprisoned um, in this hotel in Moscow. Oh, my God. Um, he was not allowed to leave under penalty of death. Uh, they spared his life, but that's where he had to live. He was living in the in the hotel to begin with. Um, so they just said, you have to keep living and you can't set foot outside. And the book takes place over like a 30 to 40 year period of time where a lot of changes happened in Russia during that period of time. And he's in the hotel. And because it's in the center of, of Russian life, in the center of Moscow, a lot of things come in and out of the hotel. Um, and it is, and he's involved in a lot of this stuff. Wow. And it's fascinating, not only about him, he's great. It's a novel, but um, you also get a real great education of Russian history as well cool. uh, in the early to mid 20th and century. And we'll link to those in the show notes. A Gentleman in Moscow. Nice. All right, we'll talk to you in a couple days with our next episode. Thanks for joining Elizabeth and Jean for another edition of the Small Biz Ahead podcast. For the latest on small business trends straight from the small business experts, visit the Hartford Small Biz Ahead. We've got articles, how-tos, and videos to help you run your business more efficiently. Check us out at smallbizahead.com.